have your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 14. If you do not have a Bible, can I please encourage you to use this Bible that is located immediately in front of you in the seat rack there. If you're using that particular Bible, you can turn to page 720 this morning, 720. Today we are beginning a study that we began last week, a study that will take us through the final chapters of the Gospel of Mark. We've entitled this study, Passion, the Way of the King. And we began last week in the first 11 verses of Mark chapter 14, we looked at Mary of Bethany as she poured out her sacrificial gift upon the Lord and through that expressed her passion for the King. And if you were unable to be with us last week, I would encourage you to go onto the website or sign up for a CD. As the Lord really spoke to us last week about having passion for the King and the characteristics and what that actually looks like. But today we continue our journey in the final days and hours of Jesus' life and ultimately His death and resurrection. And we come to a passage that is, on the one hand, familiar, and on the other hand, I believe the Lord has some fresh insights for us to receive here this morning. So I'd encourage you, um, if you have your bulletin, you can use the, the flap there. There's a place for sermon notes and I don't know about you, but I've got a really good forgetter that gets better all the time. And so perhaps there's some things here that the Lord would bring back to remembrance, some scriptures that you could come back and continue to dig in more deeply. So I want to remind you again that when we come to the Gospel, we are not simply coming to you know, some sort of historical text that's... Uh, sort of dusty and ancient and irrelevant. When we come to the Gospel, we are coming in contact with the very power and presence of the living God Himself. And the proper posture before His Word, as it tells us in Isaiah, He lives in a high and lofty place, but He also lives with those who are humble of heart and who tremble at His Word. So this morning, I invite you into that kind of posture as you come to the Gospel with me that our hearts would tremble. 
before his word today. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 12. On the first day of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Now I want to pause here for just a moment to give you kind of the historical context for where we are at, not only in the Gospel of Mark, but where we are at in sort of the historical account, so that given that context will help us understand more fully the specific text that we are looking at this morning. It's always good to have context when you come to the text. When it came time for the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of Passover were really united together in one time period. And if you go back to Exodus chapter 12, you get the the full um, theological and practical foundation for the Passover. Just to remind you, the Passover was the celebration of the Israelites' liberation from their bondage to Egypt. You remember how Moses led the people of God out of Egypt and towards the promised land. They didn't actually go in until Joshua came along 40 years later, but it was the liberation out of Egypt that the Feast of Passover celebrated. As you remember, there was a number of plagues that were given. Pharaoh was there and Pharaoh continued to harden his heart against the Israelites leaving and and there was this constant progression of plagues that came on that culminated with the final plague being when the angel of the Lord was going to come through the land of Egypt and every firstborn son in every home was going to die. But the Lord spoke to Moses and gave him instruction and told him, if my people, if they will sacrifice, make sacrifice to me and take the blood of that sacrifice and put it over the doorposts of their homes, then, when the angel of the Lord comes, he will pass over that house and death will not visit that home. And then the Lord instituted from that time forward through Moses had to instruct the people that every time at this time of the year, during the month of Nisan, you are to celebrate the Passover again to remind my people so that they don't forget because they have really good forgetters like we do, that they would not forget what I did when I brought them out of the land. Of Egypt. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was a week-long feast that accompanied Passover. Leaven was often a picture in the Scriptures of that which was corrupted. And during this time, and in fact, unleavened bread was what was used 
during the Passover feast because unleavened bread took less time to bake than leavened bread. There was no rising that had to happen. And so unleavened bread was used as a part of the feast of Passover. But it became this entire feast of unleavened bread, a week-long consecration for the people of God. During the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they were really celebrating a whole new season in their life. It was like what was already mentioned earlier today when Norm tormented us with the word barbecue. And you think of summer and a new season and this endless winter coming to an end. And so unleavened bread, so for a week long, they, they would go on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, during the night, that night, because a Jewish evening began at 6 p.m., they would take candles and they would walk throughout the house and they would look in every corner of the house to find out if there was any leaven and then that leaven would be removed. As a picture again of the corruption being taken out of the house and a consecration to begin a new season a new time, a new day. So I want you to have that picture in your mind. And then on the next day, that would, that would finish and all of the preparations for Passover would end at about noon. All of, all of the other practical preparations would, begin, would end on noon of that next day. And then at 3 p.m., On that same day, that is when the Passover sacrifices would begin to be made. Hundreds of thousands of pilgrims came into Jerusalem during this time. Pilgrims from around the world would come and they would sing the Psalms of Ascent as they made their way up into Jerusalem. And the streets were thronging with all of these pilgrims and all of the merchants selling all of the sacrifices that would have to be made, all of the sheep and goats and others, that, other animals that would be brought and sacrificed before the Lord. And a flotilla. I mean, there was just armies of priests that came in through that time. And then at 3 p.m. on that day, the sacrifices would begin to be made. And the pilgrims would walk through with their sacrifice Bah, bah, and bring to the priest, and then they would cut the neck, the blood would be spilled out, and they would take the animal home with them, where it would be roasted, and you had to gather with at least ten, so clans of people, family, this was, this was more than just an individual celebration, this was a community-wide celebration. As families were reconnected, it was kind of like, you know, of course it's a secular holiday here in in the United States, but like Thanksgiving where everybody came and gathered and, you know, Uncle Mo and Aunt uh, Marla, we'll use Mo and Marla, alright, we're here and everybody came and gathered together. Mo and Marla, hear this, I bless you. So everyone gathered together to share the Passover feast. And during the feast itself, there was a number of different 
particular elements that were, had significance, each of them symbols, during the Passover Seder feast. There was the Lamb itself to remind them of how their houses had been protected by that badge of blood when the angel of death passed through Egypt. There was the unleavened bread to remind them of the bread that they had eaten in haste when they escaped from slavery. There was a bowl of salt water to remind them of the tears that they had shed in Egypt and the waters of the Red Sea through which they had miraculously passed to safety. There was a collection of bitter herbs, horseradish, chicory, endive, lettuce, whorehound, to remind them of the bitterness of slavery in Egypt. There was a paste that was called karasheth, a mixture of apples and dates and pomegranates and nuts to remind them of the clay from which they had made bricks in Egypt. Through it, there were sticks of cinnamon to remind them of the straw with which the bricks had been made. And there were four cups of wine. And the cups contained little more than a half a pint of wine, three parts wine, a couple parts water. And the four cups were drunk at different stages of the meal to remind them of the four promises in Exodus chapter 6. And we're going to come back to that in just a few moments. So these were the preparations. This was what was going on. This is what Jesus and His disciples were preparing to share together. Verse 13, So He sent two of His disciples. One of the other Gospels tells us that it was Peter and John who went. And He said, Go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you, follow Him. Now why is that important? Because if you know anything about the culture of that time, you will know that typically, men were not the ones who were carrying the jars of water. It was the women folk who had the strength and balance to do that. (laughs) They were the ones who carried those jars of water And so when they came into the city and found a man carrying that jar of water, it would have stood out as a signal to them, this is the one that you're supposed to be looking for. What I want you to notice in this is the intentionality of Jesus. Jesus was on His way to His death. But as it tells us plainly in Scripture, you didn't take my life from me, I gave it. Already underway, we know that Judas is already plotting, we know that, that, that the machinations are already beginning to happen, which are going to lead to Jesus' death. But I want you to see right here, Jesus was already prepared for this. This is what He had came for. This was the purpose that God had given in His life. And He is pressing into that even in the preparation of the Passover. Go into the city. A man carrying a jar of water will meet him, follow him, and say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, Where is my guest room? Where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? And He will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. Already furnished. 
already ready. And again, if you know the houses, there's probably a separate entrance up to this upper room, and this may very well be the same upper room that we find in the book of Acts when they gathered again. One of the places, this may have been John Mark's home. We don't know all of those details, but there's hints throughout that tell us some of these things. And there's a preparation that's already taken place for them to eat. So the disciples left, verse 16, went into the city and found things just as Jesus had told them. Surprise, surprise. Not a surprise. So they prepared the Passover. Verse 17, Mark 14, I hope you're with me. Reading the text. Come along with me. Come in. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. And while they were reclining at the table eating... Now, one more piece of historical significance. If you go back to Exodus chapter 12, verse 11, you will notice that the instruction was given at that time. They were When they were preparing to leave from Egypt, they were to eat this meal standing up. There was no sitting down. Why? Because they had to be ready to leave at a moment's notice. As soon as the time was full and ready, they had to go. And so, to be ready for that, they stood and ate the meal. But now, because they are no longer slaves, but children of God, free from the captivity of the Egyptians, they are required to eat this meal reclining at the table. Because slaves can't recline, but sons and daughters can. So while they were reclining at the table eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely not I. It is one of the twelve, he replied. One who dips bread into the bowl, the salt water, tears, bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about Him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to His disciples saying, Take it, this is My body. Then He took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them and they all drank from it. This is My blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, He said to them. I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And I already shared with you earlier in the service, in Psalm 118, was the hymn that they sang as they went out to the garden. This morning I would like to just take a few moments before we come to this table. Because this table that we have here this morning represents this table that we are studying here today. And perhaps 
You're here for the very first time today. Maybe this is the first time you've ever been in a church and the first time you've ever seen this table. I want to help you understand what this table means. Perhaps you've been to this table countless times. You can't even remember how many times you have been to the table of the Lord. But perhaps it's grown a little bit fuzzy. What does this table mean? What does it remind us of? What's the importance of this table? And so I want to take these moments to instruct us together around the table and to encourage your hearts. And I have some questions that I'm going to be asking throughout, the, throughout this instruction time that I want to invite you to reflect on because it tells us in the instructions given in 1 Corinthians 11 about the table that we are to examine ourselves before eating, before coming to this table. So allow the Spirit of God to begin to examine your heart as He, as he brightens the light of His truth upon us this morning. Let it shine into every shadowed corner of your heart and allow Him to open you up to the fullness of the table. I've entitled the message this morning, Come to the Table. Come to the Table. So what do we hear? What do we understand? What do we know about this table? First of all, this table, and as we talk about it, we sometimes use interchangeably the Lord's Supper. In some traditions, they will call it the Eucharist. In our tradition, we will also often call it communion. Why do we call it communion? What does that mean? The word communion literally means, come means with, and union means union together. So it means union with. When we come to the table, we are reminded of our union with the Lord. Now remember, I've shared with you many times over the years that there are three invitations that Jesus gives to us. And I want to remind you of those invitations this morning. The first invitation He says is, Come to Me. This is the invitation to salvation. It's the invitation to become a child of God. A child of the King. Come to Me. The second invitation that He gives is, Come after Me. Come and be My disciple. Follow Me. Jesus says, learn from Me. Begin to have your life shaped and formed around My truth. Upon the reality of who I am. But there's a third invitation that He gives. And that is the invitation to come with Me. He desires and invites us to experience the wonder and joy of being a friend of God. In one of the parallel scriptures in Luke chapter 22, parallel to the, to the text we're looking at this morning in Mark 14, Jesus says this, He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover, what? With you. Before I suffer. Here is what I hear from the Lord this morning. He eagerly desires to share this table today with us. He 
He appointed twelve, Mark 3 tells us, designating them apostles. That they could go out and do all kinds of cool stuff. And see signs and wonders and incredible things happen. Well, yes, but first of all, that they might be what? I'm sorry? What? With Him. And that He might send them out to preach. There's a with Him before ascending. There's a coming before a going. He calls us and desires for us to be with Him. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, Acts 14, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. John 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father I've made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Jesus has appointed, has desired to call us friends. And the only way that that happens is when we find ourselves with Him. With Him. Philippians 3, Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. This table reminds us of the death and ultimately the resurrection of the Lord. But in order for us to experience that resurrection in our own life, we too must first experience that death that comes in knowing Him and embracing His suffering, embracing the reality of His broken body and His shed blood for our sin to bring us salvation, that we would come to Him and become His child, that we would come with Him and be, that we would come after Him and be His disciple, and that we would come with Him, with Him, to be a friend of God. This is communion. This is what this table represents. This table represents being with Jesus in communion. Come to the table this morning. Let me ask you this. Do I truly know Christ? Ask yourself, do I truly know Christ? Not just know about Him, but do I know Him? Am I experiencing this kind of relationship with Him? Am I becoming a follower and a friend of God? Am I taking that next step? Am I walking into full relationship with Him? Am I experiencing communion with the King? Secondly, the table. Is a table of community. Communion is union with Christ. Community, like communion, same core words here, just slightly different um, expression of it. Commun- community, come being with. Unity, meaning unity horizontal at a horizontal level. This means having, um, being in unity with those who are around us. Remember the Passover could only be taken when they came together as families and clans 
with one another. When we come to the table, there is no individuality about this table. It is a community experience. We come to the table with our brothers and sisters in Christ, with the family of God. And this table that we take this morning is being taken around the world. We are not simply, and again, as a house of prayer for all nations. It is important that we remember when we come to this table that we are not simply talking about us coming together, but we are linking ourselves with His body around this city, around this state, around this nation, and ultimately around the world. Jesus in His final prayer, embedded in, in, we have it written for us in John chapter 17, which is right in the same time period as Jesus is, is, is sharing the meal with His disciples and in the garden and, and in this whole, right in this time frame, Jesus prays a prayer. And a part of that prayer here is in John 17, 20-23. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in Me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as You are in Me and I am in You, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that You have sent Me. I have given them the glory You gave Me that they may be one as we are one, I in them, You in Me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that You sent Me and have loved them even as You have loved Me. Let me remind you that the world can judge the church. Jesus has given them the right to judge us by how we love one another. And it's through our love for one another that we demonstrate to the world the truth and the reality of who Jesus is. Which is why it is so important that we come together in community to this table. And that we lay down every offense, every unforgiveness, everything in our heart, anything that we would hold against another, we must lay it down. We must. Because Jesus has prayed that we would be one. Therefore, 1 Corinthians 11 27-30, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. We must recognize the body of the Lord. We must recognize His sacrifice. When we come to this table, we must recognize that this bread... Express is the bread of life, the, 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 the very body of the Lord which has been broken for us, that this represents the cup of salvation, the cup of the Lord that He has given, His blood shed for us. But not only do we recognize His body, the physical reality of Jesus' sacrifice for us, but the Scripture tells us that we are the body of Christ. And if we do not recognize one another, if we do not acknowledge one another as fellow children of God, which is what the Corinthians were doing, they were having trouble, people. They were in big trouble. Because they were not acting as a community. And we are called to act and be a community 
before the Lord together. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is His body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Let us not give up meeting together. In light of all of this, in light of this sacrifice, we must continue to remain in relationship vital and living and active with one another. There is no isolated Christianity in this book. You try to show me just me and Jesus. There is no just me and Jesus. It's us and Jesus together living our life with Him. So my questions for you this morning are this. Do you recognize the body of Christ? Do you acknowledge and understand and recognize His body? Secondly, are you living in unity? You see, and thirdly, how can you encourage one another today? How could you spur one another on? What ways can you actually demonstrate this love of God to one another See, the question is not, am I a part of the family of God? If you are a believer, you are a part of the family of God. The question is, how am I a family, a member of the family of God? Am I distant? Am I detached? Am I together? Am I invested? Am I participating? Am I encouraging? Am I a part of the life of God in the body of Christ? Thirdly, covenant. Covenant. This table reminds us of covenant. It's communion, it's community, and it's also covenant. I told you earlier that we were going to come back to Exodus chapter 6, and that's where we're coming right now. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. And listen, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Now remember earlier I mentioned that there were four cups of wine that were eaten, drunk, during the Passover celebration. You remember that? The four cups? Now let me tell you what those four cups are for. The first cup, was to remind them that I will bring you out. The second cup, I will free you from slavery. The third cup, I will redeem you. The fourth cup, I will take you for my people and I will be your God. Here encapsulated is the covenant that the Lord was making with His people. I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to free you from slavery. I'm going to redeem you. And I'm going to take you to be my people. And I'm going to be your God. Here is a picture of covenant. Jeremiah 31, which is one of the key scriptures. Oops, sorry. John, this is not John 8. (laughs) Once again, here we are. 
This is actually Jeremiah chapter 31, all right? And this is the place in the year of return that the Lord speaks to us and reminds us and says this, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And I will not, it will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant, though I was husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. Here is the prophetic forward announcement of the new covenant that the Lord will make us. No longer will it be simply a covenant of blood on a doorpost. It will be blood on the doorpost of our hearts. It is God taking and transforming us and meeting with us and doing life together in communion with us as He releases His covenant into our life. So my question this morning is this. Have you experienced the new covenant? Are you living freely in God? That Scripture, John 8, 31, tells us that Jesus says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you, what? Free? Free. And he who is free is what? Free indeed. The Lord wants to bring us into a place of new covenant in Him. Free in Him. Finally, commemoration. We come to the table and it is a commemoration. It's communion, it's community, it's covenant, and it's commemoration. In commemoration, we recall the past. We remember the past. But we remember the past in order that we might be realigned in the present. It isn't simply to look back, it's to look in now. But not only is it looking in now, it's a reorientation and being reoriented into the future. So it's not looking in a rearview mirror, it's looking through that rearview mirror into the future that we have with Him. And in that in-between place, getting our lives properly aligned with Him. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, after supper, He took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of Me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So when we come to this table and we'll be reading those, we read those words each month when we take and come to the table. And in it, we remember that He took, the night He was betrayed, He took bread. When He had given thanks, He broke it. And He said, this is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. The commemoration here is a reminder that Jesus, His very life, that He is the bread of life. 
Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the bread of life. This is the cup of salvation. The shed blood of the Lord. In Romans chapter 5, it tells us, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if, when we were God's enemy, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. This is the cup of salvation representing the blood of Christ shed for us. And through that blood, He has redeemed us. He has taken the penalty that is due us because of our sin, and He has set us free and reconciled us to God forever. (laughs) This is what we're remembering at this table. This is what we're commemorating. The reality of Him being the bread of life, of His blood being that cup of salvation. So I ask you this morning, have you eaten the true bread of life and drunk the cup of salvation? It doesn't simply come by eating a piece of this wafer and drinking in this little cup. It comes through the surrender of your life to the living God, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. So... I ask you this morning, are you fully reconciled to God? This table is available to everyone here this morning. This may be the first time you've ever walked in a church or the very first time that you've walked into this church. This table has been prepared, not simply through human hands, but it has been prepared 2,000 years ago by Jesus when He went to that cross and died for you and for me. When He gave His life when His body became to us the bread of life, when His blood became to us the cup of salvation. So you and I are invited to this table today to come and receive full reconciliation from God. But it begins in here with the new covenant in your heart that then gets expressed here at this table this morning. So I ask you again, are you fully reconciled to God? Have you truly eaten of the true bread? You and I must examine ourselves and ask ourselves that question as we come to this table this morning. He desires communion with us. He desires to reconcile us with one another and be in community with us. He desires to release this new covenant into our lives. And He desires for us to live not only in Him now, but for eternity. Because we celebrate this until 
He comes. And the fact and the reality is that He is coming again. And Revelation chapter 10 tells us, I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen and stands for the righteous acts of the saint. And then the angel said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. I want to close by telling you that this table reminds us of a table to come. And that one day we are going to be reclining at that table with saints throughout history and from around the nations together in community, in communion with the Lamb. No separation any longer. But we will be with Him and with one another forever. And I want to be at that wedding. Don't you? Blessed are those who are invited. You are invited! But you must RSVP. You must return the invitation and say yes. I receive your life, Jesus. I receive you this day. And there are others who are not yet at this table, and that's what we're going to be praying about as we close the service this, this morning right after the table when we commission Sam. That's the fifth C, by the way. Commissioning. Because we come to the table in order to go to those who are not yet at this table. To welcome them, to invite them, to say, come, come, come. And this morning in prayer, I heard the Lord speaking so clearly in my heart again those words, come to the table! He's inviting you to the table this morning. And if you've not received Him, if you've not said yes, to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to do so today. This is not a religious ritual. This is a reflection of relationship with the living God and relationship with one another. And so I invite you to recognize what you are doing today and then receive at this table. I'm going to ask Lidovic Pierre, one of our elders and pastor of the Haitian Christian Fellowship, to assist me here at the table this morning. Lidovic, thank you. I'm going to ask our ministry coordinators, elders, if you'd come right now to prepare to serve. Worship team, if you'd come as well. We're going to sing a song that we used to sing many years ago, but we haven't sung in many years, but it's called Come to the Table. Prepared with the wine. All who are hungry and thirsty, come and your souls will be fed. Come at the Lord's invitation. Receive from His nail-scarred hand. Eat of the bread of salvation. Drink of the blood of the Lamb. So I invite you to this table this morning. And again, if you've not yet received Christ into your life as your Savior and Lord, I invite you today to welcome Him and then take at this table in commemoration of that new faith and the new reality. Come. Come to the table. If you would hold the elements until all have received, we'll eat them together. 
And then immediately following the eating of the bread, we're going to be praying for Sam, and then we'll be closing the service. So stay with us as we continue to step in now.